My name is Jesse. I'm the youth pastor here at FBC, uh, and we are going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Uh, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God, though the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you're not already there in your copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. Let's ask God for his help. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Our prayer is that you might give us the power by your spirit. Understand what your word says, and especially, Lord, that you would give us faith to believe and the willingness to obey. And God, we pray that this morning you would make us more like your son Jesus and give us hope in him. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning is The Misbehaving God. The misbehaving God, which sounds weird, which is why uh, I do that, to make you think. Sometimes people in leadership act in ways we would not expect and we would prefer they don't, especially when they're involved in scandals. So you could have political figures such as senators or presidents or representatives or governors or mayors involved in activities uh, which run crossways with their mission to serve the people of the United States. So I think in the news, there's a, a senator currently being accused of uh, peddling his influence for uh, money. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you read the news, but I can't remember his name, it doesn't matter. It's one of those things where you read this in the news, you say, well, I'll put on my surprised face, right? Oh, what? Somebody in power is, is, is selling their power for money. Um, but when that happens, we say, we our sense of justice is sort of uh, offended. Uh, somebody in that position shouldn't do that. That's an, an inappropriate way for a person in that position uh, to wield their power. When, when people in power behave in ways we don't expect or in ways we think is wrong for their position, we're, we're offended. And what we see in this passage this morning is God being king of the universe and creator of all that is, behaves in ways we don't expect and in ways that we think are inappropriate for his position. And it bothers us. Bothers everybody. And, and we want to see why is it that the way God behaves bothers us so we can understand that the correction doesn't need to happen on his end, it needs to happen on our end. The misbehaving God. In the first part of this, we're going to look at the misbehaving God. He refuses to meet our expectations. He refuses to meet our expectations. Now there's this thing, if you go to concerts, I don't go to a lot of concerts, but say you go to a concert, uh, there's some popular concerts going on nowadays. I guess there's a recording artist named Taylor Swift. Have you heard of her? I guess she had a relatively successful uh, world tour. Good for her. Um, knock it out of the park. Do the work, right? And uh, so if you go to a concert, you might be able to secure a backstage pass with a, a VIP opportunity to meet the artist. And so you can discover what these artists are like if you meet the person. And there are some things that happen uh, that, that people are surprised by. So a person had paid extra money to get a backstage pass to meet the, uh, the, the artist that they were going to see perform, and they were really annoyed by it. Because number one, those kinds of tickets are expensive. They charge extra to do that. And they got back to the back, and before they were going to go in and meet the artist, they were told, don't talk to them, don't look them in the eye, don't touch them, security will escort you out. You are to go, stand next to them, have the picture taken, and leave. And you say, well, why not just put up a cardboard uh, cutout? Because that's where you go in. And then they give you a gift bag, and one of the things is signed in there. And so they get the gift bag. So I paid an extra 1000 bucks for this ticket. 
to stand next to the motionless artist to be given a squishy ball with their signature on it. And they're offended. That's not what I expected. And then other people have said they got into the backstage pass and realized that there was a super VIP package you could have bought. Wait, there's, there's closer access than if you would have paid even more? And this is what people are saying, look, I expected this to be a particular way and it's not. And it bothers me the way this artist is behaving. And this is what was happening with God. God behaved in a particular way and people were deeply offended by it. Religious people, as well as intellectual people, they were wanting God and they still want God to fit their particular criteria. They want God to bring miraculous power when it's deserved and they want God to act in rational ways that are easily understood. And God does neither. He acts according to his purposes. So let's look at it. Verse 18, how is God misbehaving? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes here from Isaiah 29, 14. You can write that down and read the rest of Isaiah 29 at your leisure. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So the Apostle Paul here is saying that God has fulfilled prophecy by behaving in a way that people didn't want. And there's two groups here and then a subdivision of groups. Let's start with the two groups that he mentions. There are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. These are the two groups. You see, do you see those two groups in verse 18? I know, Captain Obvious, right? But let's keep this in mind. There's two groups, perishing and saved. And how these groups are defined is those who have no relationship with God and so therefore they will die because God is the source of life, because he's our creator. And then there are those who are being saved, those who have life because they have a relationship with God and God is the source of life. What we have to understand about the perishing and the saved, all of the saved used to be perishing. Is that right? So what you want to do is move from perishing to saved. And the way you do that is to have your relationship with God Restored. Within that group of perishing, we'll leave the saved over here for a minute, okay? You see, just put them on the shelf. Go back over here to the perishing. Among the perishing, there's two groups. And both of them are offended by God because God is not behaving the way that they want. There's one group that's very religious and another group that's very intellectual. He's going to call them the Jews and the Greeks. Jews and Gentiles, religious or uh, philosophers, intellectuals. Both of these groups are offended by what God decided to do. What did God decide to do? He says there in verse 18, the word of the cross. So among those who are perishing, God's decision to act in a particular way is the cross, and, they're, and they don't like that. That's not what is wanted. This should not be a thing, the religious person. There should not be a cross, according to the religious person. And according to the intellectual, there also should not be a cross. So among these people, the, the perishing, the cross is a stumbling block. Why is it? Let's look at verse 22. Skip down to verse 22. Jews demand, demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. So he breaks these, this group of perishing into two groups based on how they're offended by God. But in this particular case, it's not always the case, in this particular case, religious people tend to be Jewish. He's saying Jewish people culturally are approaching God from a religious standpoint, whereas Greeks and more broadly Gentiles are approaching God from an intellectual standpoint. And he says these two groups are offended by the cross. How are the religious people offended by the cross? God should be predictable. God should be able to be predictable. How do we get God to be predictable if we are religious? Are you thinking? I can't tell. Are you sleeping? I couldn't tell. Hard to tell. Those, for me, those two activities look the same. I was just thinking. I'm trying to think of an example. You say, well, aren't you supposed to think of these examples ahead of time? Oh, not always. Something bad happens. Your car breaks down, stub your toe, run out of money, lose your job, get sick. Something bad happens. Anybody have bad things happen? Yeah, absolutely. I don't understand why this is happening, God. I, what? 
I go to church every Christmas and Easter. <laughs> I'm kidding. I go to church all the time. I even, I even give them a little bit of money. I pray before dinner. I pray in King James. <laughs> I do these and thou's when I pray. Um, I'm nice to my neighbor and God. You've met the guy. I shouldn't have to be nice to this guy. So what happens is, since I, and you, whatever your list is, therefore God should not allow this. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. You're religious. Everybody has done this. So don't sit there and act like you haven't. Stop it. But this is what the Jews did. Since we have done this, since we are sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, since we still live in the promised land, since we endured suffering under Antiochus Epiphanes, and since we've endured suffering under the Romans, and since we are the ones who have received the Mosaic law, since we've done this, therefore God would never this. And so religious people are deeply offended by God when God says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to send the Messiah to die on the cross. And the religious people say, no, no, no. We don't want God to help us in a way we don't deserve. We want God to help us because we deserve it. That's what they want. The cross, the, the means of salvation being the cross is completely undeserved. There is no way that anybody could argue, and the religious person especially, that God himself sacrificing himself is deserved by any religious person. And what the Jews and any religious person says is, I don't want God to behave towards me in a way that's undeserved. I want God to respond to me in a way that recognizes my deservedness. And when God doesn't do that, it bothers me. And it bothered the Jews deeply. God should be predictable and understanding. If this and this. And that's a, re a relationship that's transactional. And when God doesn't behave in a particular way, it's not that I have a problem. It's that God has a problem. And that's the way religious people approach God. Verse 22 also said, Jews de demand signs and, and Greek demand, Greeks demand wisdom. Greeks here, oftentimes the apostle Paul uses Greeks as a blanket term for Gentiles. Here he's speaking specifically to the Greeks because, of course, the city of Corinth is just a little bit west of the city of Athens. This is Greece, after all. Who are the wise? God should fit our notions. God should fit our views of what's rational and makes sense. God should also be intellectually challenging and stimulating. In fact, God should be so intellectually challenging and stimulating that really only the gifted intellectually will really get him. In fact, it's bothersome to the Greeks that the cross is so simple that dumb people can understand it. And you say, well, I shouldn't use the word dumb. Now, if you're a little kid, you shouldn't. But I did that on purpose because that's the way the Greeks think. There's smart people who get it. And then there's ill-informed, unintelligent, low-capacity people. If God's work can be understood by low-intelligence, low-capacity people, this God is offensive. And Jesus shows up and God decides to interact with people in a way that is so Simple. I mean, it is insanely simple. He shows up and says, I will voluntarily kill myself, die myself on behalf of you. And by merely trusting that what I say is true, you can have a relationship with me. It's extraordinarily simple that we're able to communicate this truth about how to relate to God with very small children and they get it. Because it's, it's not complicated. Is it complicated? Am I missing it? Maybe it's complicated and I'm just not very well informed. This, and it offends the wise people. God should fit our notions of intellectual challenge. He should just be accessible to the intellectual elite. God should engage with us because we're sm so smart. He should want to engage with us. And Jesus shows up, dies on the cross in, in such a plain way that the most uh, ill-informed, the most low-capacity person is able to understand this God is relating to me through personal 
sacrifice. The misbehaving God, he refuses to meet religious expectations and he refuses to meet our cultural expectations around wisdom and intelligence. Now why is this? This is a human problem. This isn't just a Jewish problem, a Greek problem. This is a human problem. And, and we're going to get into it more in the second part of this passage. And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the problem and then you can sort of wrestle with whether or not you agree with me or not. And I don't mind if you disagree. Because um, I always say, it's the United States. You're, you're free to be wrong. I mean, it's, I'm not going to get in your way. People. Not some people. People. Me and you. Do not want to need God. We don't want to need God. I don't, I don't want to have to have God show up for everything to be okay. I want, and you want, and all people want to deserve God. That's what we really would like. We don't, we don't want to need him. Like if he doesn't show up and help, we're toast. We don't like that position. We want God to show up and give us a high five. I'm here, bro. You, you nailed it. So I'm here. We want God who recognizes our deservedness. What everybody wants, especially in relationship with God, but also in all areas of our life, we want a sense of self-sufficiency. I've done it. I did it. I matter because I did something. And even this notion of faith, I find that a lot of believers who have grown up in church, even this notion of I trusted Jesus, we give ourselves credit for being smart enough to trust Jesus. That we even want to be self-sufficient. That God should recognize I was one of the bright ones. I was one of the good ones. God, I responded. We, we really, it, it grates against us this notion. I don't deserve him. I'm not religious enough. I'm not smart enough. And when God doesn't recognize I do deserve him at least a little bit. We say God's not behaving the way I want him to. He's refusing to meet my expectations. God acts according to who he is. God acts according to what he wants to do. Honestly, God is not trying to spite us or just be annoying. He's really great. He's kind. He's not trying to be annoying. It's just we're easily annoyed. The thing is, God is just not swayed. He's not going to change what his plan is for us. He's doing something different than what religious people want. and He's doing something different than what smart people want. The misbehaving God, listen, here it is. You ready? He gives power and wisdom to those who have neither. He just gives it away. So we're talking about that VIP thing. Remember that? Taylor Swift? I don't know if you could buy VIP tickets. I don't even know if you could buy tickets to the concert. Um, I see how you're all trying to act like you. Taylor who? <laughs> Some of you went. You don't want to admit it. I hope you had a good time. If God were a celebrity, which would be funny, if God were a celebrity, he'd be walking around handing out maps to his house with a note on the map that says the door's unlocked, just make yourself a home. That's what he'd be doing. He'd just be walking around handing maps out to his house. And there'd be a little note, here's my house, just go there, it's, don't even knock, just go on in, make yourself a home. Now, now, people who want VIP access, that drives them bonkers. No, 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 I want to pay a thousand bucks to get into the house that's locked. And you go, oh no, I'm just going to let anybody in. And, and people don't like it. God has devised a plan. Here's what happened is God has devised a plan with people with, with nothing to offer, no future, no hope, no place, no, no place to call home, no place that they fit, uh, nothing that they might say to God, you ought to recognize me. These kinds of people are given everything. They're given a future. They're given hope. They're given a kingdom. They're given a place where they fit, that they have a name and they have a purpose. And all of that is achieved by the cross. All of it. That's God's plan. Take people who don't have power, who don't have wisdom, and give them all of that through the scandalous cross. Look at verses 20 and 21. 1 Corinthians. What are we in? One? Where is the one who is wise? 
Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So wisdom is made foolish in the gospel preached. Paul preaches the gospel and therefore all this wisdom that the Greeks would have is, is made foolish. What is this gospel? It's very, very simple. It's not complicated. You've heard it so many times you might find it dull. God created everything that is. If there is something, God created it. If something is, it is made by God. Okay, good. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> He's, I, you got my back. All right. Come on, wake up, folks. That means he owns all the things. That also means all the things are owned by him. There's none of the things that he does not own. And of all the things that he owns, he cares deeply about that everybody recognizes he is the owner. That's the start. That's why Genesis 1 exists. Genesis 1 and 2 do not exist to tell you how God created the world. Genesis 1 and 2 exist to tell you who created the world. It is the one true God, the creator of all things. Then man shows up. God gives us everything, says you're in charge, take care of it. We abandon God because we don't like having to need God. We don't like it. So we bail on him. So God creates everything and his creation, humankind, tell God, take a hike. And God says, okay. And so we separate ourselves from God relationally. Since God is the source of life, to be separated from God is to be defined as dead. So therefore we are dead. If you are not dead yet, it's coming. I don't want to be depressing. That's just the way it is, isn't it? Unless something's changed. So we exist in separation from God. We cannot know him because there's no way for us to have connection with him because he is perfect and we are not. So what is the fix going to be? The religious people say it's no problem. What we need to do is make up for our mistake by being religious. And so therefore... We will atone for our own sin by being righteous. But you cannot do it. You do not live long enough to pay the penalty for your sin. If you want to pay the penalty for your sin, it will take you forever. So the downside of pay, you paying the penalty for your sin is it requires eternity to do it so you will never enjoy the benefit of paying for it because that day will never come. The wise person is not going to say, I'm going to pay for my sin. The wise person is going to say, I'm going to rationalize my way out of this. Listen, I'm just a human. I'm just a person. And besides, who can know God? As Pilate did, the great philosopher Pilate. You heard of this guy? What is truth? Um, you know, he could have lived yesterday. What is truth? So let's just question everything. And so the religious person wants to be righteous. The smart person is smarter than God. And then God shows up and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sacrifice myself and bear on myself the penalty for your sin. Because God being eternal has the ability to pay the penalty for our sin and not take eternity to do it. So God on the cross takes upon himself the penalty for all of your sin. And he says to you, if you want me, to take the penalty for your sin on myself and then grant onto you all of my righteousness, what you must do is, what you must do is, believe. believe. That's it. Just trust him. He say, he did that for me. I'm good. And in that moment, boom, all your sin is on Christ. All his righteousness is on you. Since you are as righteous in Christ, what does that mean about your relationship with God? Restored, so therefore you have life. Or as Jesus would say, life to the fullest. Because when does it end? Never. Never. It never ends. So we live forever. So therefore, all who trust Christ receive salvation. 
and eternal life and look forward to a future kingdom. That is the gospel Paul preached. It's really, is, I mean, is this complicated? Am I missing something that is supposed to be more complicated than this? If you were a sinner, you are. <laughs> Jesus will give you his righteousness if you trust him. That's it. And religious people drive them bonkers. Because they spend their whole life, and some of you know what this is like, it drives you bonkers. You have spent your whole life going to a church like this one, trying to clean up your act. Not saying you're not a Christian, but all your life trying to make God happy with you. It never feels like he's super happy with you. Some guy drags himself in off the street. He's still hung over. Crawls into the front row. Prays to receive Jesus. And he's happier than you've ever been. And you say, that's messed up. God, I have been working my whole life. I pray in King James before dinner. I do, and this, this alcoholic drags himself into church, smelling like a bar. And he's happier than I've ever been. I don't like how this works. It drives us nuts. That's exactly what was happening to the Jews. Drove them nuts. This doesn't make any sense. What Paul is saying is the self-sufficient aren't reached by the gospel. The gospel is for those who aren't self-sufficient. The gospel is for those who are desperate. The gospel is for those who are needy. The gospel is for those who need God to initiate the call. The gospel is not for those who get it. The gospel is for those who have God show up. That you trust him and you are saved. And as a Christian, we are not learning to be more self-sufficient over time. The gospel in the life of the Christian is learning to live in the reality of our inability to take care of ourselves. Trust is not self-sufficient. To trust Jesus is to recognize I am not self-sufficient. Let's look at verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles. Why is this? Jews said Messiahs aren't crucified. Messiahs have victory. That's the problem the Jews had with a Messiah that dies. Messiahs aren't supposed to be crucified. Messiahs aren't supposed to, the Messiahs are supposed to have victory. This Messiah did have victory. Not the victory they wanted. They wanted a victory they deserved. They deserved freedom from Rome. They deserved uh, national freedom. They deserved political victory. This Messiah had the goal to merely provide them victory over sin and death through his own sacrificial death. The Greeks, on the other hand, argued that God should not be humiliated. God should not be humiliated. Nobody would trust a God who would humiliate himself to death on a cross. Naked is the day he was born. Completely, voluntarily powerless. Not only that, prior to being nailed to that Roman cross, he humiliated himself to wash the feet of his disciples. Any good Greek would have had that story scrubbed from Scripture. That a, Messiah, that a, that a person who claims to be a savior would behave in such a low-born way. Absolutely scandalous. Jesus, according to the Jew and according to the intellectual, is a fool. And anyone who would believe this Jesus is a fool. That's what he's saying. We preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Just an aside here, this is off script, so here we go. Why do we want the culture to accept us? I don't understand it. Like we're going to be that first generation who makes the culture recognize we're not fools. If we're doing gospel right, the religious and the intellectual will see us as foolish. That's what the cross does. We want to be respectable. Look at the cross. Does that appear respectable to you? You did not need a respectable savior because your sin was and is not respectable. And we want the culture to recognize us as respectable. And the gospel says you're a fool. That you would merely trust Jesus? Verse 24. But 
little bit of hope here. That's why when whenever you see butts in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about those guys that went out from David and, <laughs> and they were mourning the loss of the king and they tore out their butts on their robes, humiliated them. That's terrible. But to those who were called, but to those who were called, that means God shows up one day. I don't know when that was for you. I hope that's happened for you, but I don't know when it was for you. You did not figure God out that day. Right? You understand that. If you are a member of the kingdom of God by faith, you did not figure God out that day. You weren't one of the insightful ones. You are one of the well-informed ones. You are one of the ones raised in the right kind of family. You were one of the ones that was lucky to attend a Bible-believing church. You would, you, everything didn't fall into place for you. What happened? God showed up and says, I want you and my family. That's, that's why he phrases it that way very intentionally for religious people like us. But to those of you who were called, both Jews, religious people, and Gentiles, the intellectuals, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So when you think of your own testimony, why is it you got saved? The reason is biblically, the reason always starts with not, well, I, but what? Well, Christ. That's the start of a biblical testimony. I was sitting one day and my mom shared with me and Christ used those words by the power of the Spirit to open my eyes. We're sitting in a good news bus. Or getting, being handed a Gideon's Bible. Or sitting in the back of a church. Or attending a crusade. Or having a buddy at school or a buddy at work. Whatever it might be, the beginning of that story between you and Christ begins with, but Christ called me. And then as a Christian, as you've journeyed through your life and you've learned some lessons and understood the Bible and understood what it means to say no to sin and yes to holiness and all these kinds of things, all of these things are not, but I figured out to read my Bible, but I prayed, but I, what is it? It's always what? But Christ one day brought a person into my life and said, to know God, you must know his word. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I better read the Bible. That's not some brilliant insight for me. It's just God being nice enough to work in the heart of an individual and say, you should read your Bible. Okay, that makes sense. I think I'll do that. But Christ, this is, this is the notion. This is the point. To those who are called, if you are in the family of God, it's Jesus shows up one day and says, I've got righteousness for you. I've got purpose for you. I've got life for you. I've got a kingdom for you. And his Holy Spirit moves in us and we believe. It's all Christ all the time, nothing else. For those who are called, the cross is our power. Sin no longer has a claim. Has anybody sinned this week? Okay, got some uh, truth tellers and then the rest of you are liars. So everybody's a sinner. Why is that okay? Why is it, if you're a believer, why is that okay? It's done. Yeah, but we don't do that. Religious people, I've been in church too long. Don't, don't start with me. Because you, this is how you square it with God. You did whatever it is you don't like to do. I don't know what it is. Of course, you do like to do it, but you don't like to, you like to do it, but you do it anyway. Um, and I'm only, this is what Seth told me. This isn't, right? Am I getting it right, Seth? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So how do you square that? You blew it again. I mean, you blew it. Like, it'd be in the paper. If we knew, if we knew, we wouldn't want you here, right? That's what you're thinking. Those people knew. Okay, so how do you square that? A couple of ways you can square that. First one, I think probably the most popular one. I promise to never, never do it again. Who's done this one? Okay, still a bunch of liars. Good. <clears throat> I promise that. And when, and when do you feel better? When do you feel, when do you get over it? When it's been a long enough time. 
So I blew it again. So I got to set a personal record for how long I go before I do that again. And when I beat a PR, and some of you, this bothers you that I'm talking about stuff we're not allowed to talk about. Is it bothering you? You know you've done this. Hey, it's been this many weeks. I've never gone this long. So therefore, I am righteous. No, no, no. That's not how it works, Christian. How's it work? Jesus already paid it. When can you feel okay that you and God are okay? Now I'm going to make the religious people mad. Are you ready? When can you feel okay? While you're still sinning. See, the religious people got quiet. No, now people are going to sin. That's not how it works. This is the scandal of the cross. You don't have to behave a particular way to make God happy for you. Jesus has to behave a particular way for him to be happy with you. And Jesus nailed it. On a cross, you're good to go. I happen to believe, because it's biblical, that if you would get that into your head, getting over sin would actually be easier for you. Because guilt and shame is what keeps you trapped in that cycle. But if you would finally realize, no, it's paid for, I am good. That is, for the religious person in the room, I'm telling you, they're here and they're they already writing the email. <laughs> that is a scandal, what I just told you. For those who have been called, what is that? That is a cool, refreshing glass of water. Where do we learn that? John chapter 4, a woman sitting at the well, and Jesus says to her, I will give you water. And that's the hope. The cross is the power. Sin no longer has a claim on you. Death no longer has any power over you. You will live forever. The question is today, are we going to live in the reality of I need Jesus today or am I going to live in the reality of I want my life to be structured in such a way I don't need Jesus. Look at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. By the way, the world cannot compete with God and the called don't want to. What do we need to give up so that we can live in the reality of God's power? What do we need to give up to live in the reality of God's power? As an act of worship, we need to give up our deep-seated need for self-sufficiency. To live in the power of God, to live in the power of the cross, we need to give up this deep need to be in charge of our own life and say, instead, the trajectory of my life is a greater and greater understanding of how much I need God again today. I'm going to read a psalm to you. It's really, really long. It's actually, it's actually not that long. But our, our, time, our attention spans are short. This is Psalm 33. I'm beginning in verse 10. It's not on the screen because it's a game day ad. Psalm, if you want to follow along with me, it's Psalm 33 beginning in verse 10. If you don't know where the book of Psalms is, look in your table of contents. Psalm 33 is right after... Psalm 32. <laughs> the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned... He looks out at all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God's in charge. He created everything. He watches. Listen. Verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might... It cannot rescue. Your military is useless. That's what he just said to the nation. Military is useless. It's whatever God wants to do is, is what matters. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Verse 18. 
on those who hope in his steadfast love that they may deliver their soul from death. There's no hope in the military, he says. There is hope where? For those who hope in his steadfast love. Verse 19, he keeps them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Who is our help and shield? The Lord alone. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Finally, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. The goal of life in God is to finally come to that place where we are called and trust him for salvation. We spend the rest of our life in him making our life more and more about trusting him more and more. Not less. We want our lives to be designed so that we trust God less over time when really the goal is to, at the end of your life, being fully trusting in him alone and not this other stuff. Three things, three passages of scripture. These are on the screen. Romans chapter one. We got time. I'm going to read fairly lengthy sections of scripture unapologetically. I'm reading Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The misbehaving God, he refuses to meet expectations and he gives power and wisdom to those who have neither. First thing here, God is self-evident. God is self-evident. To deny God requires work. To believe God requires acknowledging reality. That's what Romans 1 says. The question we have to think about in our own lives, whether we're a believer or not yet a believer, what are we crafting or building in our lives? Look at verse 22. They exchanged the glory of God for images. What we want to think about is what are we crafting in our lives? What are we building in our lives? What are we constructing in our lives so that we don't need God today? You got to think about that. What do you want that you don't currently have what do you want that you don't currently have that if you had it, you wouldn't have to trust God so much? And what are you trying to build in your life so that you don't have to have God show up? I don't know if that is stuff. I don't know if that is relationships. I don't know if that is clean living. I don't know what it is. But you have to think about this in your life because this is a universal condition. This is not just bad people or evil religious people. This is people. We're always trying to look for ways to not need God today. And what we have to do is own that and say, God, I'm so, I don't want my life to be about self-sufficiency. I want my life to be designed to dive into dependency on you. So I want you to ask that question yourself. What are you building in your life so that you don't need God to show up? What do you need to do with that? Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. This is a shorter section. The next one's really long, so don't get excited. Jesus said to them, who? You, just pay attention. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is rejected because Jews, religious people, want a different kind of savior. 
religious people have problems and they want a savior that will save them from those problems so they need a specific kind of savior. This is universal. This isn't Jews only. This is people. Are you a people? And this is you. So the question we ask ourselves today, you wandered into church. My, my guess is you have something you want to be saved from. If you're a human, you do. You got stuff in your head. Man, I wish this was better. What do you want to be saved from? And have you decided you need Jesus to be a savior from that, that kind of savior? Because the thing that must no longer be in your life, that if God doesn't show up and fix this, he's not God, you've decided you know what God ought to be like. And the offense of the cross is he has the goal to save you from what you need to be saved from, and some of the things you want to be saved from, he's going to let linger. And we need to wrestle with that reality. And recognize as humble people saying, you know what, God? I'm a little frustrated with you because I'm actually hoping for a different kind of Savior this week. I want to trust you as the Savior you are. You have given me life and purpose and righteousness and a kingdom that will never end. I'm going to continue to pray that you fix this thing. But if you don't, God, I think there's a prayer I've heard somewhere before. What is it? Um, Not my will... Let yours be done. We reject Jesus in little ways throughout the day when he doesn't show up to save us from the things we want saved from. Because the cross saves us from the thing, sin and death. Okay, last one, Acts chapter 17. It's for all the smart people. So I'm going to read it anyway. I'm not one of the smart peoples, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. I've already lost the smart and religious people anyway. That's, you know. They're busy writing the emails. My email is sstanley at <laughs> fbcmedford.org. So Paul, standing in the midst of the, era, uh, uh, the big building. This is in Athens. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That's not a compliment. As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's, he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Or even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The Athenians were really, really smart. They've been known throughout history as being really, really smart. When you study Western Civ and you get to Greece, you read philosophers and really, really smart people like Plato and Socrates. <laughs> Here these people are in all their brilliance and they have in their temple a shrine to the unknown God. What did their intellect, intellect get them? More questions. It's where it always goes. And that's what curiosity ought to do for us and it serves us well. It does not help us find God. And Paul came in to their brilliance and he just simply said, you've got to stand before God one day. Smart, not smart, brilliant, unintelligent, 
you got to stand before God one day, you got one solution and it's a guy raised from the dead. And he got laughed out of there. A couple of people responded in faith, but he got laughed out of there. What a foolish notion. What a foolish notion. Maybe you are brilliant. Maybe you are an intellectual. Maybe you are trying to have all of your questions answered and, and those pursuits are worthy. But to have life, you have to find Christ. A savior you need because you're a sinner. And for most brilliant people, for a long time till the spirit moves, that's just foolishness. The misbehaving God, he refuses to meet expectations and he gives power and wisdom to those who have neither. Jesus, we thank you that you save people like us. Jesus, we thank you that you saw fit to move in our hearts, those of us who claim the name of Christ, at a moment in time. And you opened our eyes to who you are and what you were doing. God, we confess our arrogance. We think we're insightful. We think we get it. We think we have the answers. Instead, God, would you make those truths in our hearts resonate what is from the gospel, which is we need you still today. God, would you build humility into our lives the way we see it in Jesus? That when our feet hit the floor in the morning, it's Christ alone. And when our head hits the pillow at night, it's Christ alone. And God, I pray especially for those who are here this morning that most of their life they have considered the gospel foolishness. I pray, God, your Holy Spirit right now would move in their hearts that they would trust Jesus for forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and we can't wait till you come back. Amen. Why don't you stand up as we close with a song?